Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening today. With me is Michelle Blair Wilker, author of the story collection Chain Linked. And I am Karen Stefano, author of the story collection The Secret Games of Words. How are you, Michelle? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure, and I'm really excited to talk to you about the stories in your excellent collection, Chain Linked. I really enjoyed them, and for people who are listening who haven't yet had a chance to buy the book, I just want to read briefly uh, the summary that's on the the back the back of the book. And okay. again, this is about a collection of short stories. We are bound together and yet broken apart like a chain link fence. The human heart yearns for connection and mourns its loss. It is the fabric of our existence and what drives us. The agony of lost love, the hollowness of an absent family member, the cute guy on the basketball, basketball court that you just can't muster up the courage to say hi to. A summer trip to Montauk, a night out at a salty dive bar, a foghorn in the distance, sipping a sweet drink, emptying the fridge, packing up the old condo, listening to grandpa's corny jokes, wondering if life as a prep school art teacher meant anything, getting even with your older brother, haunted by Havana's vacant casino high-rises and ancient automobiles, dreaming of pizza in Rome. So... One of my favorite stories, Michelle, in, mm -hmm. in Chained Linked was the first one. Uh, it's called Backburner. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to uh, read us a little excerpt from it. Yes, I would love to. Backburner. My friend Michael has a theory. Guys always have several burners going at once. Sometimes you're on high heat up front and sometimes they move you to the back to simmer and bubble up slowly. They never focus on just one dish, cooking eggs, bacon, and spaghetti sauce at the same time. Occasionally, they stir and test the temperature, but mostly they're saving you for later, for when the fry pan up front gets crusty and cools down. I'm definitely on the back burner. I can feel it. I got shifted up front for a split second. It gave me enough incentive to stay engaged, but it was like the flash of a summer firefly, and now I'm on low behind the large soup terrine. Besides, who wants soup on a hot summer day? It's just an appetizer before the main course. I try to sip my mudslide, but the consistency is so dense that it cakes up the straw. I remove it and take a gulp of the creamy tannish liquid. Chocolate streaks line the glass, and it's chilly and lumpy as it travels down my throat. Mandy convinced me to come to Liars. I wanted to stay home, swing on the hammock, and feel sorry for myself. But here I am listening to her drunk as hell singing Cheryl Crow. Tip your fucking bartender, she chimes in after she screeches out a lyric. You would think it was a line in the song, because she yells it out every other minute. I've been reduced to Friday night karaoke at a dive bar in Montauk with the legendary local lesbian. We met Mandy last summer at Liars, where she insisted that we had hung out the previous year. We hadn't. But she was just nuts enough that we went along. 
she told me I had great cheekbones and that Harry had a fantastic sense of fashion. She wanted to discuss the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Do you follow it, she asked. Yes, Harry replied. Bullshit, hey, you're pretty handsome, high five. She smacked his hand, did a shot of bourbon and went up for more Cheryl Crow. Tip your fucking bartender. It was like her anthem. The bar smelled of sea salt and beer and the dark wood was scratched up and sticky. There were wall-to-wall people. The summer season had just begun and all the Upper East Side douchebags had begun to arrive. Well, they don't usually come to liars. But still, it was quite crowded. Montauk makes me miss the East Coast. It's like the real world with genuine live people. Not shiny, blonde, tan humans with bright white teeth. There's grit, fishermen, loud Brooklyn accents and beer bellies. You know where you stand. It's not like swimming in a murky sea of unknown intention and phony sentiment. It's nice to sit in the real world, even if it's only for a few days. I can smell the rain too. Everything is fresh and green. And I'm not thinking about my back burner status. I'm calm. I'm comfy. I'm present. Oh, I love that. Um, I love Mandy. I want to party with Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> she... She's a character, that Mandy. Yeah, I love I love her. Um, uh, I've probably met Mandy um, back in my own karaoke days. Um, Rachel, your narrator in Backburner, sadly uh, reminds me of me in my twenties, uh, sitting there. You know, well, I we we didn't have text back in those golden days, but. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, there were phones and uh, waiting, waiting for that call. Uh, it's kind of shameful, but that's uh, that's how I spent a lot of my twenties. Um, er- early in the story, Rachel muses, "The worst feeling in the world is to be ignored, disposed of, replaced," and I I love that line, and I think that's a feeling pretty much everyone on the planet can relate to uh, you you wrote this story you created Rachel do you have any personal experience with this emotion oh yeah absolutely of course i think i think everybody does i don't think i would have been able to write it so clearly if i hadn't felt it myself whether you feel that way as you grow up with your friends, you know, like being, it's just that feeling of not feeling good enough. Like there's somebody better. And, and then what's the matter with you? Why, why aren't you the person that was picked or selected? Even though there's nothing wrong with you, there's, you know, there's that nasty, all, you know, alter ego in the background that says, Hey, Hey, it's you. So I just kind of wanted to explore that, you know, even though I think everybody feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think so. And, you know, I think in, in relationships, it's easy to be in, in an immature, incommunicative relationship and jump to the conclusion that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's something, it, it's funny. I have, I've, grown a lot over the years. I've experienced a lot over the years. And sometimes I still have to literally 
write down on a post-it note and put it on my desk, on my <laughs> writing desk every day that says, I am enough. It's, yeah, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's sad in a way to, to still struggle with feelings of uh, lack of worthiness. It's, it, but, but, you know, it, misery loves company, I guess, because uh, like Rachel and you, we mm-hmm. all, we all feel it. Oh, absolutely. And I think especially in this, in this day and age of internet dating, where there's such a volume of people that people are, are kind of more disposable in a way these days. And that was, and with text messaging and, and, you know, no accountability, I kind of wanted to explore that, you know, in back burner. Yeah. And, uh, and you do that so, so well. Thank you. I, in fact, you know, and your characters in this collection, I obviously, I, I loved Rachel. I loved Mandy, but your characters in other stories in this collection, they're extremely diverse and yet they're also extremely relatable. And in her blurb, Kristen Hansen Brakeman says that you have, and I'm quoting here, the unique ability to impart both a sense of desperation and hints of hope in the same passage. And I love that blurb. It's it's because it just absolutely nails every one of your stories. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that there's always got to be hope, even kind of in the darkest hour of what you're feeling. And this this collection was um, examining connection kind of on any level, connection with family, with friends, with your country, with your teacher, with your mom, with your dad, you know, with somebody that you're dating. And I think connection is something that everybody struggles with. You know, you want to connect, but can you connect? So I think there's always that hope to connect, but... Mm -hmm but it doesn't necessarily really work out all the time, even though you want it. So I just kind of wanted to explore that struggle to connect and that if you do connect or if you don't connect, you know, if there's a missed connection chain linked, that story is of a missed connection. So I just, that's kind of what I wanted to explore. And I think, you know, that's a little bit of myself in it is that I'm somebody that always kind of wants to have a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a beautiful sentiment. And I also wanted to mention that the characters, again, a very diverse array of characters consistently pop off the page. There's uh, poor sweet Mac, the retiring 70 year old art teacher. And there's Frederico Villa de Bastardo trying to escape his homeland of Cuba and make it uh, to live his dream in Rome. And of course, good old Rachel checking her phone every five seconds in a bar. How, Michelle, are you able to make these characters pop off the page the way you do? And how, and again, uh, how do you do this on the page? Impart both desperation and hope for these very colorful characters. Well, I always like to put in characters what they're thinking. Um, in the stories I do write from different perspectives, I like to switch from first to third a lot. Um, 
when you're in first, you can, you can always say what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of a way to do it. But I also think that something that I think is kind of a trait of what I do is detail. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I go overboard with detail in first drafts and have to pull it back. So I just really love to like put myself in that character situation. And I'm like, okay, if what, what do I see? What is this person seeing? What is this person feeling? What do they smell? You know, what do they see and who's around them and who are they talking to? So that that's kind of how I get the detail. I also keep a notebook of um, anytime I see something, if I'm inspired by something, I write it down. You know, I did go to Cuba. So the details, the details from Cuba are pretty accurate because I did go to Cuba. So, um, and those details came out of your notebook. I didn't take notes when I was in Cuba. I went to Cuba in 2012 and I wrote the story in 2017, uh -huh. but I have a very good memory for details. So, but definitely like, I really like to put in what you see, what you smell, what you hear and, and to put myself in the position of that character. And, you know, like all writers stuff is inspired by places we go, people we see, people we meet the, the bar in Montauk. I've been to that bar, you know, that's a really fun bar to go to. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you do take inspiration if you hear something silly or funny, you know, like I have a friend that's in uh, France right now who just told me that he took a meat slicer to Spain for the day to get it fixed. And I was like, there's my next story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's that's an interesting jumping jumping off part. Yeah, right. your stories and your, your characters uh, uh, remind me a bit of T.C. Boyle, some of them. Uh, you know, a little on the outlandish side, but incredibly, incredibly relatable. And I, I guess it is because of the vivid detail that that you, Thank you. give us. Yeah, and it's and it's it's amazing because I went through and read a couple of the stories a second time, asking myself, why does this why does this pop? And I did definitely notice the vivid detail and. Uh, it, yeah, I, I, you you do a really good job of making it pop, giving us the detail, but not going too far and and overdoing it. So, um, oh, thank bravo. you. Yeah, I have gone. Believe me, I have gone too far. <laughs> yeah, and, and your your trusted readers and people in a workshop yeah. have said, "Oh my God, I don't want to hear any more about the how this phone feels in her right. fingers." Or yeah, right. Yeah. So I've, 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 over the years, I've tried to pull it back a little bit. Um, so that's definitely something that I, I work on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I personally think that anyone reading this collection chain linked, uh, will learn a lot about writing and, and how to write by, by imitating some of this detail style. And another thing that really struck me that was that in each and every one of these stories, you start right in the middle and you start with a sentence that brings the reader in. So for example, 
diamond in the rough. Round these parts, folks don't take too kindly to gunslinging sharpshooters, particularly of the lady variety. <laughs> and then you just keep you, and then boom, I'm I'm in. And then you keep going. And then in muted splendor in the middle of the collection, the opening line is, it was less complicated when it was silent, which brings me right in. And then a little later in the collection, Landlady of the Flies, you start, the flies were wily, wedging their tiny green thoraxes through miniature holes. So how do you how do you do that? Uh, you know, great. Start with this sentence. We've all been told, uh, bring the reader right in, no pussyfooting mm-hmm. around and, you know, and, uh, and uh, clearing your throat. But that you do that, but then you never lose momentum. And I, and I wanted to know how you learn to do that and what pointers you could give to uh, the writers who are listening. And, and as I'm sure you can imagine, it's virtually 100% writers who listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've taken a lot of short story workshops um, mm-hmm. at UCLA Extension has a fantastic writers program to anybody that is interested in taking that. I came to writing a little later in my life um, and kind of taught myself how to write. I, I wasn't, I don't have an MFA. Um, I was just always kind of been a writer and it's something that I've done. But in these workshops, everybody said you start in the middle. Uh-huh. So that's, that's something I co- that always comes to mind to me is to start in the middle, in the middle of the action. So I try to go it that way. In Muted Splendor, what's interesting about that story is that is taken from an exercise that I got at UCLA Extension, which is to pull out a book and just turn to a random page and then take a line from that. And that's the line from your first story. For, for your story. So that's how that story came about. It kind of forces you to write about something that, that you're not familiar with or with a line. So that really, really helped me there. And for the diamond and the rough, I don't know. I just had this little Western voice in my head all the time <laughs> totally. where I, I was walking around going round these parts. Folks <laughs> don't take too kindly. And so I just had that voice in my head. I don't know why. And so sometimes I just get inspired by a title, you know, um, I had a crazy landlady. So that's where landlady at the flies kind of comes a little bit, but definitely I think that, um, just starting in the middle, it it really helped me. And, and that's what I was taught at, at the workshops and classes. Oh, what if, oh, sorry. And it, t- it takes me forever to write a story. Oh, like I, yeah. I, I can't even tell you how many, dra- I mean, by the time, because I, I rewrite a paragraph and I can't move on until I finished the, until I'm satisfied with the paragraph. And then when I come back again, I start again. So, I mean, it takes me close to like a minimum three months to write one, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 word story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually no, I- the it takes forever. Yeah, I think I, I think that's pretty, you know, pretty much uh, across the board true for most people. I mean that it that it takes forever. Now, whether everyone has that particular style of uh, meditating on a on one yeah. paragraph before being able to move on is it may be a different story. Because I, for example, I'll just 
write, 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 write. And even if I'm, as I'm typing, realizing, oh, this is complete crap. Uh, but I just, you know, I keep going, just try to get it down. And then I go back, go back. and yeah. revise, 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 revise. And, you know, and sometimes I get stuck and I give up and that, uh, that story ends up in the, uh, what I call the spare parts folder. I think, <laughs> I think I got that expression from Dorothy Allison at a uh, tin house workshop years oh, ago, cool. but, um, but yeah, but speaking of workshops, um, uh, where else, where else have you gone? Uh, just locally in, well, in Los Angeles or where else? Well, last, uh, I did every short story workshop at UCLA, but last summer I did disquiet international literary program, uh, which is in Lisbon. So actually, this time last year, I spent um, two weeks in Lisbon doing um, a writer's workshop there. It's like, it's also a conference. There's a lot of readers and writers and, um, you know, lectures about, you know, really cool, interesting writers from all over the country and professors and stuff like that. So that was really fun. So I've done that. And then I would really like to do a residency next. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I can do something like that soon, but I, I really enjoyed disquiet. They're there right now and they're posting all these pictures. So I have a little bit of FOMO. Yeah, of of course, of course. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Tin House is going on right now in Portland, and I've done that conference a couple of times. And like you said, on, on Twitter, everybody's posting photos and and I feel incredibly jealous, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I had my time. So, um, but now you write essays as well as short stories, right? Mm-hmm, I do. Yeah. I've been a contributor to the Huffington post, um, when they used to have that contributor platform, which they kind of don't do anymore. I've also had, um, I just read an essay on unheard LA, um, about taking a woodshop class. So, um, yeah, I write essays too. I prefer fiction to writing essays cause it's a little more, um, creative and you can do what you want, but an essay is a little bit of an easier write. Than, for, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny. I started, I started writing fiction and only did fiction. And then I decided I had a memoir in me. And so I turned to memoir and basically stopped reading fiction altogether because I just wanted to, I wanted to just kind of immerse myself and, uh, and kind of, you know, learn the difference. And, uh, and then once I finished the memoir, I've started writing essays, which I'd never done before. I'd always written in, in terms of short pieces, I'd written short stories and it, there, you know, it's apples and oranges. It's so, so different, but it's so much faster. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, so much, oh it's, it's so much, yeah. I don't want to say easier because there's easy and writing don't belong together in the same no. sentence, no. but uh, yeah, it's that, that's interesting though, that you, that you actually prefer uh, the form of fiction. Yeah, I do. I just, I don't know. Sometimes when I get in, I mean, it's a struggle. I mean, it's a struggle to get the words onto the page. Like some friends and I were talking the other day, like, you know, you'll clean your closet and you'll do whatever else you have to do before you're going to sit down and write. Um, 
you know, but I, I don't know. I feel like my heart lies more with fiction uh-huh. uh, than it does. Not that I don't enjoy writing essays. I haven't written an essay in a long time. Um, but, you know, if somebody wanted me to write an essay, for sure, I would do it. Yeah. And now your your day job is you're you're a producer. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a TV producer. I work in uh, live event, variety television, reality competition shows, things like um, Stand Up to Cancer, the Grammys. I've done the Sing Off, um, America's Best Dance Crew, um, all kinds of silly television shows that are not scripted. Now, how did you get into that? You know, I just fell into production. Um, my whole family is in entertainment. My brother was a television producer. My dad's been in theater. And, you know, I think as a lot of young people, I was a little lost in my 20s and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So everybody's like, I'll get you a job as a PA, which is kind of an LA thing. Uh-huh. And um, if you're an organized person, I also, in, in, in addition to being creative, I'm super type A. So I'm very organized and good at multitasking. And that's really the biggest skill in being a television producer. Wow. Interesting. Uh, so, so were you a native of LA then? No, I am from Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. And I have lived here since 1999. And, um, but I went to school, I kind of consider myself an East coaster at heart, uh, went to school in Maine and my family's from Massachusetts. Um, but definitely not an LA native. Okay. But, but you're, uh, you're committed now. The weather is hard to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What's the thing that you love most about living in LA? The weather. Uh, I like the lifestyle, the diversity. I like that you can go downtown and that there's, you know, the beach and there's all kinds of, you know, people that come here from everywhere just to like, live a dream. And there's something sort of intoxicating about that because everybody's here to do something, you know, whatever that is. And that's always interesting. And it's, it's fun to meet people. And when they're not in the business, you're like, what? You're <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, that's yeah. cool. So that's, that's what I, I like about LA. It's in, you know, the beach is beautiful and the weather is, is it's hard to beat. I always thought I would go to New York and be a New Yorker, but mm-hmm. then I go in the winter and I'm like, oh no, I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's so different culturally to the East coast versus the West yes. coast. And I, I love LA. I have so many friends, so many writer friends in Los Angeles, but when I'm in the area of West Hollywood or Beverly Hills ish. I, I can't, yeah, I can't take it. Uh, going back to the, like the lack of self-worth thing, I guess, but, uh, I literally have a 36 hour max for those areas because just sitting in a coffee shop, you overhear these conversations and I'm not kidding. Every single person is talking about the screenplay they're writing and this and that and the other thing. I'm just like, good. You guys are yeah. full of shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I try not. Some of I them try, aren't. But. I try to hang out more like Silver Lake and Echo yeah. Park, and you know, there's like a lot of cooler areas, Highland Park and yeah. Eagle Rock, and downtown is super cool now. There's so many restaurants and stuff like that. But you're right. When I go to those areas too, and and everybody's like 19 years old. And, I know. 
Yeah, and and like weighs ninety five pounds. Right. Like, okay. Great. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to live in in uh, this was just this was just in the UCLA area, and I had to live up there while I was working for a while. And I would go into this market deli and order a a turkey sandwich. And I would, I remember one time I'm asking for the sandwich and uh, telling them what I want on it. Yeah. And a mustard and extra mayonnaise. And this woman at the counter turns and stares at me and looks me up and down like, you're having extra mayonnaise? Oh my God, that's It so was funny. hilarious, but it was just so classically LA. So uh, slight uh, digression there. Yeah, but- yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah. Um, but no, it was, it was classic the way, yeah, she just, she looked me up and down. Um, but let me ask you, something else about this collection chain linked what are you doing to promote this book this is a question that i'm starting to ask everyone on this podcast this this year because it's it's so interesting to me to see what people do and what they're able to do and what their day job permits them to do mm-hmm. and whether they're still able to create new work when you're in shameless self-promotion mode. And so, right. so what are you doing, Michelle? Well, it's a full-time job to promote the book. Um, I'm an unknown author. Um, I sold my collection without an agent, so I don't even have an agent. So um, it's been very, it's a lot of work. Um, I, I read it Book Soup for the launch, so a lot of people came to that. I'm also going to read on August 12th at Rorschach Reading Series. Oh, I um, love Rorschach. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And then August 17th, um, I'm reading in Boston at Brookline Booksmith, um, hoping to get some more podcasts and, you know, hopefully some press. I post to social media. I have an Instagram. I have a Facebook. I do it on LinkedIn. I have an email list, a blast that I send out to people. Um, I have some friends that know some celebrities. So I've been trying to get the book to some celebrities, hopefully for promotion. I did get Tori Spelling to do an Instagram story for me. So a friend of mine helped me with that. That's Um, huge. Yeah, yeah. So, and I have some friends that know some other people, you know, so I'm crossing my fingers that they'll look at the book and not just throw it away. And um, (laughs) I have a new story coming out any day now. Um, It's not in the collection. It's called Library Naps. It will run in Chicago's Felix Magazine. the, the editor told me any day. So that'll come out. They'll promote my book too. Um, it's a very silly story that is not sad or about connection. (laughs) If you just want to read a silly story, that's going to come out. And, um, I did just finish a story a week ago called the ficus. So that's out to my readers right now. And, um, then I'll usually when I write a story, I do a round of, submissions to literary magazines and contests, you know, to hopefully get it published in a literary magazine. A number of the stories in Chain Link were already published mm-hmm. in some literary magazines. Um, so hopefully do that. I'm, I, I, I've been contacting some book clubs. I have another friend that works in Variety TV that has a book. So we were hoping to do some readings together. So it's, um, it's a full-time job. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it yeah. It, it is. I mean, and it, 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 again, it's my new favorite question to ask authors because in one form or another, people's answer boils down to I'm doing everything yeah. I can that's humanly possible and uh and pursuing every single opportunity so because um, you just yeah. want to get the word out for your yeah. book you know yeah. you just want to get the word out and and if you yeah. don't it's just your like 300 friends that are buying the book you know? right Right. And then, yeah, that's, yeah. And that's, and that's not what, that's not what we're after. So, um, well, I am going to wrap this up now and Michelle, I want to thank you so much for joining me. And I want to tell everyone listening, get your copy of Chained chain linked. It's a wonderful collection. I promise you, you'll enjoy it. And Michelle, where can people buy the book? The book is, um, my distributor is Simon & Schuster. So the book is everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Target, iTunes. It's everywhere. So just chain linked. Okay. Sounds sounds good. Uh, Everyone, Michelle Blair-Wilker. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Karen. uh, It was wonderful to talk to you. Wonderful to talk to you too. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you.